Welcome to the Unabridged Podcast. I'm Ashley. And this is Jen. Join us for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content to grow your TBR. Sign up for our newsletter to find out more about online book discussions and upcoming events. Find us on Patreon for extra unabridged content. Join us on Instagram and Facebook at Unabridged Pod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the Unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, and welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 256. Today we are discussing Michael Bennett's Better the Blood. This is our June book club pick. Before we get started today, I wanted to say a couple of things. One is that we are carrying on with a very recent tradition of taking a break for the summer. So we are actually going to, after today, we're going to take a couple of months off and we'll come back around in September. We will still be doing buddy reads on Instagram. So feel free to join us for those discussions. We would love to have you there and we will still be releasing Patreon episodes. So if you have not joined Patreon and want to hear some more things from us, we will have new content on Patreon this summer. And we also have all of our back episodes, of course, that you could listen. We appreciate your support so much for just $5. You can have access to all the things we record. It's at least one episode a month. And again, we'll have those go in this summer, even though we're going to take a break on our main feed. And if you are taking a break on those things and we'll see you back in september when we pick up for season seven Seven? oh my goodness i think that's right right. that's crazy so yes yes season seven (laughs) wow (laughs) all right (laughs) before we get started on our book club discussion we're going to share our bookish check-in jen what are you reading today So I am reading Kirsten Valdez Quaid's The Five Wounds, and this is a Read with Tony Buddy Read, and I'm almost halfway through this one. I am really loving it. It is is a chunky book, and I'm listening to this one on audio, which the narration is great, and it is narrated by Gary Tiedemann. So this one is about a family in Las Penas, New Mexico. Amadeo Padilla is the father. He is 33. He is unemployed. He lives with his mom. And as the book opens, he is really fixated on the fact that it's Holy Week and that he has been given the part of Jesus in the Good Friday procession. And his he is not particularly religious, but this is a tradition in his family. He feels as if it's a big honor to have been given this role And he is planning basically his life around this. So he is quite upset one day when he comes home and his 15-year-old daughter, Angel, who is pregnant, has shown up at his house because, well, at his mom's house, because she has had a fight with her mom and she wants to live with her dad and her grandmother. And he's like, hey, I don't have time for you because I've got to be Jesus and she understandably does not see why that's a problem. So <laughs> she she moves in. Her grandmother, Yolanda, is currently in Las Vegas with her boyfriend. And so Amadeo and Angel are just trying to make their way through for a few days until they get through Holy Week until Yolanda comes back. So, yeah, it is this interesting book because it has this great mix of humor and serious content 
The family has a lot of challenges. They have dealt with abuse and addiction through multiple generations, which Quay does a great job describing sort of the cyclical elements of that and also examining the individual choices that the characters have made that have further moved them down this path. Angel is very intent on being a good mom. And so she is part of this program that helps teenage girls who are pregnant make good decisions about their pregnancies and then after their babies are born about their babies and helps them continue their education outside of the traditional school system to provide extra supports that they need so that they can continue getting their education. I should say we're shifting between different perspectives in the book. So we start with Amadeo's perspective. We do get Angel's point of view. We get Yolanda's and Yolanda begins with her discovery at while she's in Las Vegas that she has a brain tumor and is dying. And she's trying to figure out how to tell her family, which is Angel and Amadeo. And then also Amadeo's sister who has had her own issues with abuse and addiction. So yeah, it's just, it's weird to say that about the humor because Clearly, everything is so serious, but there is this great sense of humor through the book as well that I think the narrator does a great job emphasizing. So there's a lot going on. There are a lot of different threads, and periodically, Quaid will add a new point of view from a a different character, and we'll get their point of view for a while. So I think it's one of those books I really appreciate the way it will share a single situation from multiple points of view. And allow us to see how much your own perspective and your own life experiences can make you see a single episode very, very differently. So yeah, that is Kirsten Valdez Quaid's The Five Wounds. And I cannot wait to see where this narrative goes. Wow, that sounds... I love it when you can see a lot of different perspectives on things. So that sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's very good. All right, Ashley, what are you reading? So one of the things I'm reading right now, I'm actually listening to this one, is Laura Dave's The Last Thing He Told Me. And I listened to 800 Grapes. That was hers. And I really loved it. I didn't know anything about her, really. And unfairly, I just, I don't know, I had made some assumptions about the (laughs) kinds of books maybe that she wrote or something. And so I was kind of like, nah, that's probably not for me. And then... And again, I don't really know why, you know, there's just we pick up things or we don't. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of where I was. And then 800 Grapes, I was totally captivated by and really wanted to know what was going to happen, but also just loved all the family dynamics and stuff. So I was interested to come back to her work. And this one feels like a thriller in a lot of ways. You are in a very tense situation right in the beginning as the reader because It starts with Hannah, and Hannah is married to, like, recently married within the last two years. She's around 40, and she has recently married this man, Owen, and Owen has a teenage daughter, Bailey. And so they're still newly married, but she absolutely adores him. The two of them have a great relationship. Bailey has been very resistant, as you might imagine, a teenage daughter to feel toward accepting Hannah. And part of that is because it had been her and her dad for a long time. So she had her mom, her mom passed away. And then for a long time, it was just the two of them. And so she's kind of, 
it's hard for her to expand her world and to let another person in. So you see those dynamics. Well, almost immediately, Hannah is greeted at the door of their home and she gets this note that is clearly from Owen. And the note just says, protect her. And then from there on the news, all this stuff comes out about his work and the place where he worked, the tech company, is imploding. A lot like we've seen in in the real news of Enron or Theranos. You know, so it's like they've done something. The thing that they promised was different than what they actually had when they were taking it to market. And so you already see that the highest people are getting indicted. And Owen, the husband is not on that list yet, but he also, aside from this note, has disappeared and is off grid. And so Bailey and Hannah find themselves in this unusual situation of they only have each other and this crazy thing is happening and they both don't know where he is and they also don't know his involvement in it. But he was big on the tech side, the actual coding. So then they're kind of, it's hard for them to believe he had no idea that the actual things weren't working the way that they were supposed to be working, but also it's inconsistent with everything they know about him to think that he would have been purposefully misleading people. But right away, as they start pulling on that thread and trying to figure out what they should do and where he might be, they discover that everything they thought they knew about him, including his name, is not the way they believe it to be. And so then you're left with this premise of, okay, he seems like this great person, but also he has lied about everything that the daughter and new wife know about him. So, so I mean, I find it really compelling. I'm interested to see how it all gets put together. What has been interesting so far is just how much we trust that what we perceive is the way that things are and how so much in the world depends on that. That is an interesting premise to me. And just kind of questioning that, that if you don't take things for granted that they are true, what someone says to you is true, then like what happens? And so I think that's a lot of what's going on here. So again, that's Laura Dave's The Last Thing He Told Me. And yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. Yeah, I like that one. That one's also an adaptation. I haven't watched it yet, but it has an adaptation out. You know, I feel like maybe that was why I, I think it must have come across my social media feed or something. And I was like, oh, I didn't know there's an adaptation. And yeah. oh, I liked that other book by her. Maybe that was why. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah. Jennifer Garner stars. And I like mm. her a lot. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would be interested. I, I can see how it's very, I could see how it seems cinematic. So I could see how it would make a good adaptation. Well, today we are, as I said in the beginning, we're going to be discussing Michael Bennett. Speaking of thrillers, um, Mm -hmm. we're going to be discussing Michael Bennett's Better the Blood. And yeah, we're going to dive into that. So I'm going to start with a quick synopsis and then we'll share our thoughts about the book. In this thriller, focusing on the pursuit of a serial killer performing ceremonial murders, author Michael Bennett explores the complex past and present life in Auckland, New Zealand, where Maori people live alongside Pakeha people in the modern world. And Pikea would be the term for Westerners, essentially, in the modern world. The profound injustices committed against the Maori tribes when their land and rights were taken away continue to impact the present day. 
Detective Hannah Westerman finds herself unexpectedly at the center of this killing spree since the perpetrator has focused his communications on her, and over time she discovers her own role in prior events that led to the present. So we'll dive in first with our overall impressions. Jen, what was your overall impression of this one? Oh my goodness. I really loved this one. We always do spoilers on book clubs, but I do feel like it's super important with this one to just know if you've not read this book, we will be spoiling all of the twists and turns of it probably. So yeah. (laughs) So listen in. That's right. Listen or read the book before you hear all the spoilers. But yeah, so I read the ebook. I picked it up not knowing how propulsive it would be just because of the description but oh my goodness I, I couldn't put it down I desperately wanted to know what happened I have read this is going to sound, be a weird statement but I've read a lot of books about serial killers I've read a lot of this kind of mystery and yet this one felt as if it were set apart it is very skillful at exploring the mind both of the detective and of the serial killer and of their lives and the way they intertwine But it's very seldom that I have any empathy for the serial killer. And I thought that was the thing that I thought Bennett did so well is helping us to see his viewpoints and knowing that, of course, killing is wrong and that this should not be happening, but also feeling so strongly the sense of injustice and the personal experiences that led him to that point. And then I thought, because Hannah, who is the detective, and normally we would be completely on her side, but you see that she has made some missteps in the past. And so I think that complexity worked so well in building suspense, not just in what would happen, but also suspense in how Bennett would continue to develop these characters and to develop this story. So yeah, I really, I thought it was very skillfully done. And yeah, I really loved it. What about you, Ashley? Yeah, this one is not my style at all. (laughs) And yet when I started, I was immediately captivated. But exactly as you said, Jen, at first, as one should be, we're horrified by the killer. And yet the more that the novel unfolds, the more that things get complicated. And I thought that was just really well done. And so, yeah, I felt like the thing that made this so powerful to me was the exploration of injustice and the way that that impacts individual people. And so, you know, looking at somebody who, like you said, Jen, the the feeling of empathy for a serial killer is a hard thing to cultivate in a reader. And while it is clear both from the people's perspective in the book, including the Maori tribes who are impacted by what he's doing, but also in a lot of ways for whom he's doing this act. The Maori community rejects what he's doing. The larger society is also rejecting what he's doing. And yet there is this element of what do you do mm-hmm. to to bring about justice in something that has been broken so badly for so long, how do you fix those wrongs that have been and continue to be taking place? And so, yeah, I felt like there were some really great questions at the heart of this, and those questions did not have easy answers. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I felt like, I, I mean, I was totally swept up in the plot, and as you would expect from a thriller, I think that it did 
feel, like you said, Jen, propulsive. Mm-hmm. I wanted to keep going. But I also just loved this reckoning with the complexities of history and how mm-hmm. we don't have easy answers for it. And I think not only do we feel some empathy for Rocky, the serial killer, mm-hmm. but also we see Hannah mm-hmm. and her daughter, Addison, really feeling those those feelings as well mm-hmm. so yeah i mean yeah that overall impression for me was you know i i didn't know what to expect going in but i was really pulled into it so what was something that worked for you jen so i thought with both hannah and with rocky bennett did such a good job so there's a subplot where hannah has invo- been involved in the investigation of a rape and we see i mean this is the part that reminded me so much of chanel miller's know my name you see that there is undisputed evidence that I can't remember the guy's name, but that he raped this young woman and yet the judge lets him off because of his, I'm using air quotes here, promising future. And so Hannah starts off the book being incredibly frustrated by the criminal justice system. So I think that sets up so brilliantly. Then we see Rocky who is an attorney and who has tried to use the criminal justice system to correct generations of injustice and trauma. And that parallel of his frustration of trying to work within the system and having absolutely no success. And so then he turns to this other way of getting justice. And so I thought because of the parallels there, I just thought that created this rich sense of Is it ever right to go outside of the criminal justice system to try to get justice for a wrong that has been done? And, you know, in the situation with the rape, you see that the perpetrator's mother is able to correct, kind of, not really, but it is able to correct one potential injustice that's going to be done against Hannah, but also doesn't do anything for the girl who was raped. And so here's another case of, okay, it's a little bit better than it could have been. So just like with Rocky, he was able to get some little nod toward justice, but not really correcting the issue at its center. So yeah, I just thought the way Bennett, I wasn't sure how those two plots were going to affect each other. And in some ways they are quite separate, but you see again and again, in a way that I have to say feels quite familiar in the United States, the way that the criminal justice system can be weighted toward those with privilege and money, even when, yeah, it it doesn't come out to be justice, what anyone would call justice. So yeah, I thought that really, really worked well for me, both on the side of plotting, but also just like you were talking about the deep questions that the book asks. And I think that's one that we never get a clear answer on that I thought was just really well done. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's a great point, Jen, about those parallels, because that was one where I was like, where are they going with this? Not that it's not important, but it's so different from the main plot, except that, you know, as far as the case, she is in jeopardy of not being able to pursue Rocky. Yeah, because for a while, it just seemed it was going to be this plot mechanism. Yeah, Yeah. right. That, you know, all that's going to happen there is that, she's in jeopardy being pulled off this case when clearly she's the only one it feels that both because he's communicating with her directly, but also because she is able to like pull the pieces together in a way that no one else, including Jay is able to do, Mm -hmm. you know, we see that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I think that's a great point. Mm -hmm. 
So how about you? What What's something that worked for you? Ooh, it's hard to narrow it down. I mean, there were a lot of things that really stood out to me. And like I said, I just this was one that the more the story unfurled, the more I impressed I was with the way that it all was crafted. But I think that I'm going to focus on Addison and her as a character and also her as an example of different ways of taking action. So we see Addison as a young person who feels so deeply and passionately the injustices committed against Maori people and the way that she is an activist and she is doing things about it. And then, you know, she is influenced. So, so like Jen said, Pawata Rocky, the, the serial killer, you know, he had his first, he went through the legal proceedings and, you know, tried to take that route. Well, then he became a professor and thought he would make an influence by teaching other people in the hopes that perhaps over time he could make an impact there. And because of that, Addison was influenced by him. So she goes and sits in on his class and sees him and how charismatic he is and how brilliant he is. And she believes the things that he's saying and thinks that they have a common vision. And then we see as Poata is study killing people and is committing these atrocities that then she's having to reckon with this person that she believed was an idol in a lot of ways against this horrible image of this guy who's exacting this revenge against people who never committed any crimes themselves other than to be born into the lineage of someone who had committed a crime 160 years ago. So I think we see there how, and again, as the title indicates, over and over again, there's this idea of, while it's not perfect to kill innocent people, better the blood of the lineage than no blood at all. And that is his continued justification of this, like, you know, he believes it to be Utu, which is like not revenge, but instead like the writing of a balance, like to to get things back in harmony is how he continues to justify to himself these horrible crimes that he's committing that we see pain him. I mean, I think that's another thing that, like you said in the beginning, Jen, about the empathy, like that we see him struggle. Pawata over and over again, we see his perspective, which I think is also unusual. Like a lot of times I think that when I've seen, when I've read books like this, like I don't, if I see it, the, the side that I'm seeing is pretty <laughs> gruesome. The inside is just as bad as the thing that's happening. Or I don't really see that person's perspective. But here we really see him grappling with what he knows to be wrong. But anyway, back to Addison. So she is then thinking oh my goodness, this person that I thought was just like me, but like leveled up is going on this pathway that I know is wrong. But then what does that mean for my pathway? You know, so we see those questions being asked. And I think also, we see her vulnerability and her youth. And I thought all of that was just really well done. Yeah. So I loved that because I felt like so much of the book is about Hannah and Pawata and really about, I mean, really Hannah, you know, the central the central story is about Hannah trying to find peace with her past, trying to do her best, trying to be a great detective, trying to keep all parts of her life functioning. You know, we see all that. But then there's this secondary character of Addison, who I thought was just really well crafted and and complicated. And, the, the, and like you said, Jen, there aren't easy answers here. Right. Yeah, I mean, I thought that moment when 
she's talking to Poata in her home. And there's that consideration of the abstract. And then she sees the footage of Stan. And so that shift from this idea in the abstract to, okay, now it's real and it's someone she knows, which is something we have to go through all the time. I mean, there are things in the abstract we consider and we know that they're wrong. And then when it's someone we know, we feel entirely different about it. Or, yeah, and so I just thought that was, that moment was so powerful. Yeah, I I agree. I think the addition of her... And considering that next generation of activism and of uh, and of contending with the wrongs that her mother had done. And then that it has gone back over generations through her father's side as well in ways that, you know, that, that was a big shock that Jay and Addison are involved and our descendants, I thought was really well done. Yes. And then like thinking that, is he going to take a Maori life? in order to bring about justice mm-hmm. because the bloodline is not exclusively Maori. I mean, I thought all of that, well, and with you know, the boys. both that he respects her, but yes, with the hunt mm-hmm. in the hunting situation, like, Oh my gosh, are you going to strike down these two children? Yeah. Because they came across you. And how does that work into your framework that you have placed yes. over all of your actions? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I mean, I just thought all of that was really, really fascinating. And and I was worried. I mean, in the end, I thought, is he going to kill her? I mean, I really felt like, are we going to... And, and how much of my liking of the book comes down to whether that happened. I mean, I think I just... And then I was like, well, that's silly. Because again, why should I care more about mm-hmm. this one person's life than all these other people's lives who have been sacrificed yeah. to this cause that again, I know is is not... It's not okay because it does not bring about justice for these horrible things that have happened. I mean, but I did feel really hung up on that. And I really worried in the end, is he going to exact, you know, complete the circle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though we see even Powata does not want that to happen to Addison. And then like where, where she texts him. And so then he has her number. I mean, I just like that was the part where it's like that vulnerability of youth mm-hmm. and the desire to help the person, even though you know the person is in the wrong with what they're doing. I thought that was really richly done. And then, like you were mentioning, Jen, everything about Hannah and her involvement on the mountain and on the sacred land and the volcano, like, I felt like that was so well Mm -hmm. done because it was not her fault that the force chose all their Maori people to go out there And with their brown skin, be the ones on the front line of this horrendous event. And yet, as a young police officer, she's just following the orders. But then, you know, and I I thought that, like you said about the mother who came and said that she, I mean, essentially, she apologized for her son and basically said, I cannot undo that, but I can do this. Mm And how hard it is for somebody to do that. And I feel like we see that with Hannah in that moment where she says to Pawata what she wishes she had done. And I just thought that there is something to be said there about how to heal and how to make right. And that while we can't like undo these horrible things that have happened, we can at least in an authentic way be sorry, like legitimately and genuinely and authentically deeply sorry Mm -hmm. and how she goes to the tribe and she speaks to the elder 
I just thought all of that, I mean, again, you can't undo, but you can do better. And I felt like there were several examples of that. And, and I mean, even in the end with Powata, yeah, I felt like it was like, I can't undo, but I can do better. And that's a great way to say it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so much, I felt like that was so much kind of the messaging that, like you said, a lot is unresolved and there are a lot of things that don't get wrapped up, but I did feel like there was this really powerful message there about that. And we see it when the Maori people come together and they are speaking, you know, it's those simple, the, the message was clear. It's the three simple words. And basically they're saying like, the path should be love, like this is not the right path, and how that really influenced him, I think, you know, that even as far out as he had gone, and as much as we saw his like mental state deteriorating, there still was this power in hearing a message from a group he respected. Yeah. Mm. I have to highlight one more thing. And this is such a small moment. But when Hannah is investigating, and she goes to the college, and she gets the whole story of what had happened, and why he was I can't remember, was he fired or suspended? And the professor that she's talking to says, if we had known about his mother, we would have gotten him grief counseling, and we would have provided support. And that simple moment of, again, empathy, and of saying, we have a system to deal with these kinds of things, but we didn't have the whole story. And I thought that was so powerful because you see the way so much of him taking this step is is tied up with grief about his mom's death. And that that's how Hannah gets wrapped up in it because of what Hannah had done to his mother. And yeah, I just, it, it, it's a very small moment, but... I don't know why that one hit me really hard, but just that thought that, oh, yeah, maybe if he told someone, they would have gotten him counseling. And I'm not saying that would have solved everything, but maybe because maybe if he had been able to work through his grief more effectively, he would have had an avenue. Anyway, I just thought that was a really great, very small moment, but it really had an impact for me. Yeah. Yeah. For where we see that he is someone who feels so deeply and maybe he wouldn't have felt that he had to go on this mission. I mean, basically, mm-hmm. and again, I mean, he felt like it was like a way to create this balance and something that had been so unjust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, okay, well, <laughs> we could get, keep digging there, but we're going to share a quote that stood out to us. And I know I had a bunch that was probably true for you too, Jim. Yes. What would you like to share? All right, I think I'm going to do this one. So it's, she understood the abuses and travesties he was identifying. The country had so much to pride itself on, but it also had so much that was and remained just plain wrong, historically and ongoing, problems that desperately needed fixing, but she abhorred the way Rocky had chosen. And I think that is one of those statements that could apply to every country. And the idea that any country can only focus on prideful moments and not contend with the abuses that have happened in its history is important. I mean, of course, that resonated with the United States. And I just think that idea that papering over the abuses of the past is a better way to move forward than trying to deal with them. I love what you said, Ashley, about you can't undo it, but you can do better. And I think you have to, that has to be a part of reckoning with any country, any group's history. So I just, I really, there were, like I said, there were so many quotable moments, but that one I thought really hit me hard at the moment of writing. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think it speaks to what you said before about feeling empathy for him, that even though, of course, what he was doing was clearly wrong because he's murdering innocent people. I mean, it goes back to this idea of when I mean, we can all agree that that's not right. But then how do we sort our way through mm-hmm. that? Yeah. yeah. How about you, Ashley? What quotation do you want to share? Yeah, I mean, I think that this one speaks to that, too. And it just and again, I think that was what really stood out to me was that there was the interesting plot of the serial killer who's doing the things. But then what really resonates to me was just how all of that was wrapped up in the history of a nation, the history of people groups. And so this quote is, on which side lies evil, the broken man or the two centuries of trauma and oppression and injustice that broke him? And I feel like that's kind of it. You know, like it goes back to who has privilege, who doesn't. And especially when you're talking with like, I like that you brought in about the rape at the beginning, Jen, and how in a lot of ways, that was a very separate plot line. But then it's so central to this idea of he got off because the system is set up to get him off Mm -hmm. so that he is not going to have a consequence. And here we see this brilliant man who clearly cares deeply about the world and people's connections to each other. And yet, because of all these injustices that have been racked up against him, but also against his people group, he cannot, you know, he's just ready to do whatever it takes. And I think that tension, like that really stood out to me too, like bringing about change at any cost versus what is, you know, too far, like what is exacting a a brutal revenge versus bringing about change. And I think we see that Pawata has gone to the exacting brutal revenge, Mm -hmm. not bringing about change. But then we see that that line is not as distinct as we want it to be. How do you bring about change with the entire systems that are set up prevent you from bringing about that change? Mm -hmm. That's a problem. Yeah. That's a problem, and it's something that has to be dealt with. And so I feel like, again, there weren't easy answers here. But I think that we see that, yes, what he did was wrong. But again, we see how the system is what led him to this breaking mm-hmm. point yeah. where the only thing he could do was going to be wrong. Yeah. Books like this, thrillers like this, serial, whatever, are so much more powerful when the villain is not only a villain. And yeah, so. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's a great point. Okay, well, I could keep going on about this one, but yes, <laughs> but we will move on to our pairings. Jen, what did you choose for your pairing? I, I was really torn. Ashley and I talked a little bit before the episode started about all of these different options I had. So I think I'm going to do a book of spade. But the one I have landed on, I chose because... This book, Better the Blood, works really well for one of our Unabridged Podcast reading challenges. It could be a mystery, but I think it actually works even better for a book written by someone, a native to a country that you would like to visit. And so I was reminded of Jane Harper's The Dry, which is a mystery, and it is set in Australia. And just like this one does a really great job evoking a sense of place and a sense of the culture of a place. And so The Dry is a mystery set in small town Australia. There's Aaron Falk is the detective. He's a federal agent, and he is part of an ongoing series 
that Harper writes. But yeah, I just, the thing, it's been a while since I read this one. So I'll look at the summary in just a minute to give you some plot details. But the thing I remember most about that book is the way the feeling of being in Australia is just ever present. Like I can get a picture in my head of where the crime happened, of what it felt like to be there, of how that affected Falk's ability to think through and process a place. And I thought in Better the Blood, just the sense of New Zealand in general, but also, you know, of this sacred place of this volcano of what it means symbolically and literally to people, both the Westerners who came in and to the indigenous people who live there, that vividness of place is connecting both. And then of course, there's a mystery element as well. But yeah, so in the dry Falk is going back to his hometown and he looks back on his past when he was committed of a murder and his friend Luke gave him his alibi. And so now he's attending Luke's funeral. And so there's this huge drought and Falk is now investigating, okay, what actually happened to Luke? Because he feels like something shady happened that it's not as straightforward as it is, as it seems to be. So you get all of this digging into the past to solve a current mystery that I thought was really effective. I mean, I remember being propelled. That one's also an, has an adaptation that I have not watched yet. It's Eric Bana, I think is starring, but yeah, Aaron Falk is just this great complex character at the center of that series. Uh, So yeah, if you haven't read Jane Harper, I've loved all of her mysteries. Um, I think they're all fabulous, but the ones with Falk, I think are my favorites. So yeah, that is Jane Harper's The Dry. And I still have not read any of hers, Jen. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because I have been on a bit of a mystery and thriller mode right now. And she is one I have been wanting to get to and just haven't yet. So I think a couple of hers have been ALC is for Libro. I'm not Yes, positive. I think so. Okay, I think yeah. so. And part of it, I wasn't sure I had to look at like the series and whether to start somewhere else. So I think that was part of why I hadn't done it yet. <laughs> yeah, I think but, you could read. I mean, certainly there is some development in the character, but I do think they're pretty standalone. So if you have access to one and it's not the first one, I think you'd be okay. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, that's, I did wonder that. And I noticed that this one, it sounds like Hannah Westerman is going to have her own series. And I'm definitely here for that because I love her as a character. So that sounds great. I agree. All right, Ashley, what's your pairing? So I went with Stephen Graham Jones's The Only Good Indians. I do want to mention that I'm going to talk about similarities, but this one is much more solidly horror. So there are, it is more vivid. And I, as a sensitive reader, I just wanted to mention that because Better the Blood there to me I don't know if you felt this way Jen like I mean people died and I'm that that was terrible but it was also like very it wasn't in graphic detail yeah it was like the thing happened off the page yeah yes yeah that's a good description right it's kind of like romance right like there's open door and then and then closed door or crack door and Mm -hmm. here same thing this one much more on the page I feel like that's true of Graham Jones in general I love his work, so it doesn't, that's okay for me. But anyway, so the things that I thought were really, that brought this to mind to me were that while this one is set in the US, but it is that same, like you are seeing the indigenous culture. It's largely the Blackfeet tribe, but there are some other tribes that I, I believe, it's been a little while since I read, but I feel like there's more than just Blackfeet in it, but that is the main, Stephen Graham Jones is usually writing about Blackfeet tribe specifically, but it is that idea of the indigenous world and then how Western culture 
layers on top of that and all of the horrific parts of that. I think that, you know, you get in the title, The Only Good Indians, throughout there's this idea of what does it mean to be Indian? What does it mean to be native to a place? How does that play out in the modern world? And so I think you really see a lot of that. And so that part, when we're looking at the Maori people in New Zealand and what that means in today's world, I felt like there was a lot of that exploration in this one. And also, it is this one is more, it's kind of a paranormal component to it. And yet it is this idea of an injustice is done. In this case, the injustice is toward the land. So it is a sacred space. These young hunters commit, a, you know, they kill an elk in a sacred space. And then it is this like retribution for them having broken the law, basically, for them violating the sacred land. And so in a lot of ways, it's, it's mythic, but it is also this idea of how do balances get restored and what does ha- what's the role of myth and tradition in today's modern world and so i felt like there are some similarities there as well and especially like like i said the thing that really spoke to me is just this idea of looking at indigenous life in a place in today's society i think you really get that in stephen graham jones so again that was stephen graham jones's the only good Indians. Yeah, I think that's a great pairing. I love that book so much. Oh my goodness. I like his work, but that is by far my favorite. That's what I've only read one other. I, I read My Heart as a Chainsaw also, and it has some similar things, but I did not like it nearly as much. So there's the only two I've read so far of his. But again, The Only Good Indians, I mean, that is way outside my normal reading. And I just was so moved by it that I then was compelled to read more of his work. Because I think he just really has his finger on the pulse of the complexities and nuances of of what he's talking about, you know, and explores it in really interesting ways. We wanted to wrap up with our bookish hearts. How many for you, Jen? Five. Five for me. Yeah, five five for me too. Five. And again, I when I first started it, I just, it's not that I wasn't enjoying it, but I just was like, oh, this guy's killing people. <laughs> and then as it kept going, I was like, whoa, I am very intrigued by what is happening here? Yeah, because there's a lot the to normal, think about. The normal path of one of these books is everything narrows as you get toward the solution. And this one, I felt like everything broadened as you yeah. got toward the solution, which I really liked. Yeah. 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 So definitely five. We would love to hear what you think about this one. If you read Better the Blood, and I just want to circle back, Jen said before, but this is a great one for the category of, you know, this is Michael Bennett is Maori. Of course, he is also from New Zealand. So, you know, this is a great one. And I know that I personally have not been to New Zealand, but desperately want to go. Mm -hmm. So for me, this fits that category of reading a book from a place that is written by an author who is from there. And it's a place Mm -hmm. I'd like to travel. So it's a good one for that. It also is good for Indigenous. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it would work for Indigenous lit and also mystery. (laughs) Kind of. I mean, I think you can make that argument. I think it's more a thriller, but I think, yeah, there is certainly an element of mystery there. Yeah. So it covers several categories if you are looking for that. And uh, we would love to hear what you thought. We wanted to end today with our Give Me One. And today we're going to say one plan for summer. Jen, what's one for you? 
So I'm really excited that we are going to get together for an unabridged retreat this summer. Now that Ashley lives a little further away, we have not seen each other face to face for a while. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah. How about you? I'm really excited about that. I am also super excited to this summer, we're going to go to Hilton Head. So we live in South Carolina now, but have you know, not been in this area for a long, long, long time. So the last time I went to Hilton Head as a kid at the beach down here when I was, you know, growing up several times. And then Mahan and I went once and had a really nice experience. But of course, that was like 20 years ago. So <laughs> uh, so it's been quite a while. And we are going to go just just briefly with the girls. And I'm looking forward to going there. That'll be fun. Well, thanks so much for listening today. Again, if you want to let us know what you thought about Michael Bennett's Better the Blood, we would love to hear it. And as I said in the beginning, we are going to take a break on our regular episodes for the summer. We'll be back in early September with our new season. Thanks so much for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.